Hi everyone, it's Shahid here. Welcome to another Creative Floor podcast. Just a quick heads up that our next awards entry deadline is the 9th of April. Absolutely over the moon today. We have our very first client ever on here and we have Tim Porter, who's the marketing manager for Pets and Equine at Bowringer Ingelheim. You right, Tim? All right. Hi Shahid, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. We've also got the wonderful Executive Creative Director of Ogilvy Health Australia, Toby Pickford. You're right, hey, Shahid. How you going, mate? Oh, I'm so pumped to be on Creative Floor, finally. Got here after, <laughs> after all our emails and chats and everything. And finally, finally got here. So I'm really kind of like stoked and proud to be on, on this podcast. Thanks, mate. Well, it's a pleasure. I mean, we're talking from the other side of the world, totally. Yeah, we're in London right. and, and yeah. you guys are in Sydney, yeah. right? Yeah, drenched. Well, it was drenched Sydney. We, we had some horrendous floods and uh, everything. Well, even houses were floating around and stuff like that. But um, thankfully, thankfully, yeah, it's been, it's been shocking. Oh, really? It's been real shocking, particularly up north. But Tim and I probably hopefully survived okay here in, in Sydney. So it's not too bad. Not sure about you, Tim. Do you have any floods? No, we're, yeah, absolutely fine, thankfully. Um and yeah, it's funny, like I was saying to um, Shahid earlier, it's um, it's almost back to normal instead of global pandemics. It's just the usual natural disasters <laughs> in Australia. So we're more accustomed to this than, than global pandemics. Yeah. So we're more comfortable with floods. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, yeah, I, I'm imagining you guys are sort of just sat there with your, mm. with your cans of beer or your pints of beer, right? Is that Correct. kind of right? And I'm sat here with my coffee. So that sort of works. So as, as the podcast goes on, if I get a little bit more hyper and you guys get a little bit more tired, at <laughs> yeah, least everyone exactly. will understand the, the concept behind, behind that. <laughs> well, you know, thank you guys for, for this. And uh, this is a special podcast. I love these podcasts because basically you got in touch with me and said, we'd really like to talk about this. And I think that's where the best podcasts come from. They're not really coming from my mind. They're sort of coming from yours. So thank you for doing that. So I think today um, you guys want to talk about toolkits. And I think this is a a really interesting subject, obviously, because many, many people who listen to these podcasts are involved in creating toolkits. And, you know, I think most of the sort of big brand campaigns for for pharma drugs uh, are generally created in the States, um, and some are also created in London on the global agencies. And I think you'd probably find many conversations <laughs> over a beer of, of, of how tough it is to get these big brand campaigns out. Because, you know, let's be honest, I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but everyone wants to move to a global model where basically consistency is the key, which in short basically means the same key yeah. visual in every country <laughs> with a with a headline that is basically translated for those markets. And it goes through rounds and rounds of research. It costs an absolute fortune. And in the end, I think in most cases, most people end up fairly disappointed, which I guess is the ultimate <laughs> definition of compromise. Now you're in a in a in one of the when one of the markets I imagine gets delivered many of these toolkits and you kind of get to open your emails or you get to go onto the the website and I guess your heart sinks a little bit when you see them. So what do you do, guys? What do you do? You get these yeah, toolkits. Well, I'm handing it over to you. <laughs> Thanks, Jaheed. Well, from from a I guess from a creative perspective, we 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 kind of for the first step is we we cry and uh, we go like what is going on here and we go how the hell can we actually make this work 
and that's a general generally the rule of thumb i haven't i think i've ever come across a piece of global creative that i thought oh do you know what that's that, that that's actually really 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 good we can actually we can actually work with that because it's it's always about adapting um adapting um global creative and, and i think if you think about the word adapting um you think about you know making something suitable for for a new purpose and that's what it sort of states so um you know for me it's about adjusting to new new conditions but when when you know when they uh when global hands down global creative it, it tends to be okay just just make it a little bit more australian and it'll work and generally for us that that's tr- it's tricky we can't just chuck a barbecue in or a beach uh, a couple of kangaroos and some some koalas <laughs> up a tree with a few cockatoos flying around, uh, and and that has been done by the way, and uh, I've seen it and literally, and it's not it's not going to work. Um, so it's about adjusting to new conditions. So I guess I kind of like it, you know like thinking about it now, like adapting and stuff. I came to Australia. I originally was from the UK. I came to Australia about twenty eight years, twenty nine years ago, and. If I came here and I was, I sort of marched down the street and I had a Union Jack sort of shirt and pants and and sort of demanded Sunday lunch and wanted a warm pint of beer and you know I don't think I'd actually fit in. I think I'd actually be, I think I'd just be booted out of the country. Um, so I think I feel it feels like a little bit like that to me. It feels like you're wearing somebody else's clothes when you're actually. Um, when you actually receive one of these these kits from a creative perspective. So Tim, maybe from a client, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's um, it is always something that is in in these large um, organisations. Um, it is built internally, often in a collaborative way. Um, so, and and that's probably the one of the big shifts um, we've seen recently in 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 our organisation is that willingness to want to collaborate internally within various countries and various marketing teams and and develop these global creatives together. So you do have a bit more of that broad cultural input into into what's being um, developed at a a head office level. Um, With that being said, it is still really difficult to find one piece of creative that's going to hit the touch points for all the various countries um, culturally. It is it is really, really difficult. Um, and if I think about it from an Australian perspective, um, we do believe in our own, we strongly believe our own individualism um, as, a, as a country. And, and that might come from our colonial roots to some degree as well, where we've always fought hard to not be, not be British, <laughs> where we're Australian, for example. Tim, interestingly, because it's great having your your insight on here, how much collaboration actually happens during a big global campaign from a market like yourself? I mean, and, and how much of it is actually taken on board and how much of it do you actually end up seeing when it's all done? Yeah, really good question. And um, and I think it's through probably through previous bitter experience um, where you've had um, head offices with a, um, you know, a command and control mentality where they have rolled out global creative without consultation and you have had some really strong pushback. Um, and to sort of um, the credit of the likes of people like Toby who, who um, 
can be really good at creating a strong argument for why some creative does or does not work in a country. Uh, and so that means it gives, it arms us with the right information to go back to um, our you know, global marketing colleagues and have a really strong argument as to, look, this is why this isn't gonna work in Australia, for example. So probably through that bitter experience, um, um, they've been getting better at consulting with the top countries. So if you take a, a product or brand and where are we having the most impact globally? And possibly where is the most synergies between various countries where we can get a working group together that can work on a bit of global creative, um, which is often, you know, amongst European countries, North America, as we know, and, and countries in the Asia Pacific area, particularly Australia and New Zealand. Um, and with that, there is um, often a collaborative working group that would be with an agency. And over a series of months, um, that could be fortnightly or monthly catch-ups would be from sort of creating a brief through to reviewing concepts through deciding on final um, final creative. Um, and yeah, they're very good at using surveys and um, polls, et cetera, to try and um, decide on a final on a final execution. And at least once that global creative comes up and uh, and decided on and you've had some input into it, you're more likely to own the end result as well. And usually out of that toolkit will come something that you can leverage in your own country. Mm. It, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, in that sort of like, if you think about that, uh, that, that sort of massive amount of, of effort, um, focus groups, ad boards, you know, people, you know, and, and I just think about some of those, some of those people who get involved, you know, and, and potentially, you know, some of them are maybe a little out of touch with today's nuances as well. Um, but research, I guess, going on research about uh, researching um, ideas and researching global creative. I mean, I spoke to a researcher today, actually, and I asked her, I said, hey, um, I've got this podcast tonight and um, I'm chatting to, to the guys about, about global creative. I just said, hey, uh, you know, out of all the global creative you've tested versus local, you know, how much is one? She says, none. She says, none. It's a square peg in a round hole. It's a really interesting balance between using research to be informed as opposed to using research to sort of direct yeah. you. And, um, and like we've talked about, Toby, um, the worst thing you can do is let your target audience um, sort of art direct what you're doing <laughs> Yeah, as well. And that's the other, I guess probably the other end of it too, Shahid as well, um, is where there's also sometimes this um, um, attitude whereby we have to test every piece of creative with the target audience and it has to be accepted by the target audience um, before we can roll it out as well. Um, and that can present its own challenges because sometimes, um, you know, part of advertising is sometimes pushing the target audience a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you if you go for something that's maybe safe, you're not pushing them yeah. either. Um, like for, for example, what we're currently doing, um, we're, we're, we're trying to push the envelope a bit with one of our, um, our, our top brands, um, NextGuard, NextGuard Spectra, um, and where traditionally advertising has been functional, um, talking about what the product does and how it helps your animal. Whereas we're trying to take it to um, 
an area that's more sort of emotional and aspirational. Um, and I think if we tested that early on in terms of what the pet owner wanted, functional or, or, or emotional, they would have said functional because what we know from research is the category is confusing. So I want to learn about the category. Um, but what we had a vision and a belief in is that actually pet ownership is becoming more and more emotional and that close bond between the animal is really critical. Um, so we actually need to leverage that more in terms of what's important to the pet owner. Thanks, Guard, for those of our listeners who might not know what that is. That's a chew, isn't it? That sort of helps protect dogs from fleas. And Correct. Tick. You must be a pet owner, Shahid. No, I used to work on NextGuard many, many, oh. many years ago. Yes, I've seen, I saw the brown yep. dog, or whatever it was at the time, um, lick, yes, licking his the lips. <laughs> there you go. That's the yes. one, isn't it? Yeah, that was the original creative, uh, yeah, the launch 2014. So, yeah, you're right. It's a chew for parasite control for dogs. Mm. So let's talk about this, though, because that's a very that's a very generic global campaign, the master toolkit, right? It's, yeah, for those of you who haven't, haven't seen it, it's imagine a brown type of Labrador just licking its lip, and then you've just got the logo and some sort of MOA stuff <laughs> going in somewhere on the page, I think. Something like that. <laughs> we'll get on to how you guys have sort of broken the toolkit model and, and, and how you can get amazing creative out of pretty standard healthcare work. And, uh, you know, no offence to anyone who created that global campaign because we all know how mm. it goes. No, no, it's right. It's a nice looking dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very healthy dog. It's a very <laughs> clean dog. You know, we've all been down. Yeah. I think all agencies and all creative agencies start off with amazing intentions. They all have fantastic ideas. But as you have sort of touched on I think it'd be really worth going a little bit into this because I think it's a very sore point for many agencies many creatives and and you know Tim maybe maybe it's a sore point for clients too but in terms of how market research traditionally being done is quite an artificial environment for people or your audience to start seeing work you know Tim you're talking about you know it's not great for clients to be art directing your piece do you think the the current way pharma advertising is researched is redundant is it ridiculous is is there still value in it because none of us look at commercials or or advertising on social media or websites or print or whatever it is in a room or on a or on a laptop for 30 to 60 minutes at a time with somebody posing 20 questions at you you just don't you know you, it, it, they almost treat it as if you're looking at a piece of art in a gallery and you write you have to write a dissertation about what you're seeing and you're looking at something for a huge amount of time where in reality the communications that advertising is really meant to be doing is to sort of you know make 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 you make some assumptions in in a matter of seconds and actually it's quite hard mm. to research stuff where people are sort of maybe not even seeing something as themselves but they're seeing as themselves as a professional and and maybe what their peers would expect them to say rather than how they really feel so is it okay if we maybe sort of spend yeah. a little bit of time on on your opinions and your perspectives sure. on on research well uh, i'm gonna sort of dive back into i guess a david ogilvy quote which which is actually quite interesting on on, on research being an ogilvy person and he says the trouble with market research is that people don't think what they feel they don't say what they think and they don't do what they say. So, you know, you're dealing with um, a rabble here. And, you know, and I think half the time, I think it's brilliant to get insights off people. But when you're asking them to judge something, like you say, Shahid, it, it sort of, I think it leads to a bit of a dog's breakfast because 
you know, it, it everybody kind of like they take a bit of this and take a, well, unsophisticated marketers, unlike Tim, will take a bit of this and they take a bit of that and create this Frankenstein freak show, you know, of of like everyone, all the bits that everyone likes. When it comes to subjective kind of people sitting around a table uh, ripping pieces pieces of stuff, and they all like want to be there. They're all getting paid a certain amount of money that that they just <laughs> I don't know what they're doing there in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, precisely, and and it's one hundred percent true, and that probably across the board globally in terms of where I think in a lot of you know areas of politics and and business and social science and that kind of thing, this model of asking people you know uh, what they think about something um, is it's, it is slightly broken um, because for all those reasons you said that that David David Ogilvy said, whereas. Um, Whereas we've demonstrated that measuring behaviour um, is actually um, mm. um, far more useful, which is all the data we get now um, from the likes of um, Google, um, Facebook, everyone's online habits um, is is incredible information to get in terms of um, what people are actually doing. Um, so, Shahid, the, the best example of this that I can give is um, we have a brand called Frontline. Frontline's... Um, you know, it's a probably nearly 30-year-old brand and um, particularly in Australia, but globally was an, uh, an absolute um, incredible piece of innovation when it launched and, and was a um, market-leading brand for many, many years. But um, look, recent innovation over time, it's sort of meant that Frontline's become late life cycle uh, and there's basically, um, uh, you know, new technology on the market that is is better suited to some to some pet owners. Um, but look, globally still Frontline is a very big, strong, strong brand. Um, however, look, in Australia, it's a bit of a different, different market. Um, so we recently did some market research and it shows that brand awareness for Frontline is still really high, like 77% brand awareness. Um, and of that sort of people who, who knew the brand, 24% they'd used it in the last 12 months um so they said yep i've i've bought and used frontline on my dog in the last um 12 months 24 percent but what we know from our market data is actually the dose share of frontline in australia is closer to two percent so um so that what's great is that brand equity that was built in frontline is just so strong it's fantastic and it's a credit to what the people who've worked on frontline all those years to build it into this this mighty brand um but what people in their mind think that they're saying they're using versus what we know in behavior is is very very different and you can say the same for example with creative as well um particularly Creative um, isn't designed just to be seen once, appreciated once, and then then that's it. Um, the creative we use is is that drumbeat um, effect in terms of it's all about you know repetition and you know um, getting a message in your head or a feeling in your head or you know a little tune in your ear and that kind of thing. So for someone to see a piece of creative once and make a for us to make a decision on that on what their opinion is. Um, is is really mm. difficult. I have just a question then on that. <laughs> you don't have to answer this. How much do clients manipulate research 
so you've got a bit of context, Tim. I'm I'm not I'm not like a reporter or anything. Watch out! <laughs> but I used to I used to do what Toby. Toby <laughs> yeah, no, I I used to do what Toby used to do, right? Yeah. So I was working with a big network and working with clients like yourself. Well, if one of our main clients locked onto an idea and they were like, "Yeah, I love that. I love it." And, you know, you obviously sort of have to put like a few other things in there to sort of, you know, give a reference point of what was, you know, better or whatever. Whatever they liked in the end, just managed to, it, it just coincidentally just always happened to get out regardless <laughs> of what was said when you're listening to people's reactions to it. All this data, all this research could be manipulated from my perspective. And I just want to ask you, I mean, you don't have to answer it. I, you know, appreciate, you know, <laughs> you do what you do. But, but I mean, do, do you do it? Do people I mean, do it? In terms of, in terms of research, you know, if you're looking for a certain answer, there's always ways that you can manage the way you implement research to try and get that, get that answer without a doubt. So, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're so unsure of yourself in terms of whatever you're going to be researching that you just want to get the answer you want to get, there's every way you can manipulate um, the way you approach the research just to get the answer to get the answer you want. Um, but look, if you're honestly doing research to seek, you know, to validate whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's you know um, attitudes and behaviour research or trying to you know validate a piece of creative. If you're with the approach to truly validate it, there's no way you can manipulate the results. And look, I can't speak on behalf of all clients because I'm sure it goes on where particularly, um, you know, often depending on relationship with the agency, um, you know, a particular marketing manager's attitude towards advertising agencies or creative, um, you know, ego is always at play. So, uh, you know, I have no doubt that that goes on. But, you know, if you're, um, you're confident enough in yourself and you're reassured enough to know, I need to do research to get the right answers. And and if what we're doing is wrong, then that can only be the best result for whatever you're doing. Because the worst thing you can do is go down a path that um, is going to end up with a poor result. So, um that's why, you know, I think working with the likes of, of Toby and Ogilvy, all we want is the best result. And we're quite open to get negative feedback, which we often do get, you know, from either our own business or from pet owners or our, our customers. And we have to take it all on board because if it's not resonating with them, there's something we're not doing yeah. right. I, I, I mean, look. I do feel, I feel when you talk about that, Shahid, talk about uh, you know, manipulated data and all that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, it probably does happen, you know, and, it, and, and you, you have a bias on something or you see something a different way. You take that with a certain pinch of salt or certain bias. I actually do feel so sorry for, for marketers out there that, that have to deal with all this stuff and have to prove themselves. They have to put, put all the stuff through, through research and spend that, spend that inordinate amount of money on this stuff when they know when they know that 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 created there is 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 pretty is a pile of crap and i'm just you know i i, I again speaking to a research friend and i won't mention the brand and i won't mention it but it was in a, it was in a, it was a healthcare brand and she she had to research this and it was it was a it was it was a winter scene so okay so it's a person in a in a in a city winter winter snow up to their sort of like their um knees or something and okay they're asking yes we do get snow in australia um down south we go skiing 
all that kind of stuff. But generally, cities are not. We don't get snow, right? We don't ever get snow. Um, so for them, for them to be researching this and wasting wasting an ordinate amount of money on a, a fairly big, a fairly big healthcare brand, just just yeah, beggars belief. And I, I I wonder, you know, you know, it's just they're they're impacting on everything else. So I, I do feel sorry for the for the smart marketers out there that, are, that have to sort of validate lots of stuff um because like the likes of tim you know we know when we get something down the line we know that's not going to work and um you know we could say hey guys we could save you a shitload of money here because we know it's not going to work um but we have the research to back that up so i think your research pre-research spending the money and that kind of those dollars to get all those insights and all that kind of stuff that's where it that's where it really counts. Yes, validate validate some of that, and we have to do that because these guys have to do that. And we we understand that Tim and his team need to go up the line and say, guys, this is going to work. Okay, we, you're going to spend X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever it is on this on this particular piece of creative. And I understand that you know, it's all very well for us agency guys. Here. Yeah, come on, you can do it. You know, take a leap of faith. Go on, go on, Tim. Um, uh, but they're, they're spending a, a crap load of money and they're probably not sleeping at night time. So I think, you know, you've, I think us, us as creatives have to understand that. Can I ask a really stupid question again? So I'm asking lots of silly questions, but they're just questions that are always sort of in the back of my mind. And as I've got, right here, <laughs> you're going to make most of it. Well, I talk to Toby quite often, so you know. Why is it so important to research creative? You know, why why don't big brands and big organisations just validate? the business, the strategy, the media strategy, validating the insights, and then just giving that validation or that almost umbrella strategy to the different markets to then, for them to then execute for what's right for their markets, but ultimately sort of ladder up to the global strategy? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, Shahid. And, um, and I'm, I'm sure it's one of those those questions that does get bandied around the agency in terms of you know why why do we why do we do this um, you know and, and why do we spend all this time testing a creative if at the front end you got it right then surely what spits out at the, at the back end um, must fit that um, fit that same insight and same strategy and the the best way I can answer that question really has to do with that next level of investment um, so particularly in a market. Like ours, where um, we 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 have an OTC market, so we can we can advertise our brands direct to pet owner in our in our space, whereas other parts of the world in our pet healthcare market we we can't. So when you're um, about to invest, you know, millions of dollars um, into advertising campaigns, um, there's a fair bit at stake there commercially, and so if you are about to um, you know, invest that amount of money. Um, you want some reassurance before you do that, that that investment is then going to give you the return you're expecting in terms of, um, you know, hitting the right mark from a brand point of view and everything you want the end user to feel about your brand is exactly what's going to be achieved to then drive to that commercial benefit of sales revenue, etc. cetera. Um, that'd be my best explanation Um of it for you and it's kind of it's the security blanket i guess in terms of saying well yes we've 
we've tested it, we're about to invest millions of dollars, um, you know, end user says green light and, and we can do that. And in the grand scheme of things, the cost of research versus the cost of millions of dollars of um, media and um, development of materials, et cetera, is, is quite small um, depending on depending on your brand and your market. So in, in our case, um, when you're investing millions, it's absolutely worth it. If you're at the other end of the scale and maybe you don't have that big budget, then you do ask the question of, you know, can we do enough, maybe some small voice of customer type work? Um, you know, what can we do on a small scale to validate before we do our investment? Because regardless of what your AMP budget is from, you know, a brand manager or, or marketing manager point of view, that's all you've got. And, you know, um, big or small, it's a limited bucket and you have to make sure you get the most effective spend out of it. So um, you're nearly always being asked just to make sure before you spend, can you validate that that is the most effective way of spending, spending that money? Um, because it's what's at stake is then, um, you know, that revenue to the organisation and a commercial benefit. That's really interesting. Just just to follow up on that, and again, feel free to ignore it if you don't want to answer it. Have you or any one of your colleagues or anyone that you know who works in, you know, on the marketing side for for sort of pharma clients ever had anything validated and you've put it out or they've put it out and it just hasn't worked? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head to be to be honest. Um, but in terms of, I guess, rolling out of, 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 of any campaigns, particularly global, global campaigns, um, there's always an element of risk to it. And is this going to hit the mark in terms of the, the patient or the, or the pet owner um, in that regard? Do you think that since the world has gone like way more digital, like, you know, there's just the acceleration of how we're consuming media and how we're buying products and how we're interacting with brands. Um, you know, obviously it's accelerated by five to 10 years, if not more. Do you think that's had an impact on, on the, on the way that the toolkits are now being developed for you or how you're approaching Mark? I mean, you sort of touched on it with the market research, but from a toolkit perspective, um, has that had an impact? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely a lot more digital assets that we that we need to leverage, um, uh, particularly around social media um, as well. That's um, that's fraught with danger um, for um, you know healthcare companies um, such as such as ours um, because we are so heavily regulated. Um, so we've got to be quite careful about what we put out there as a, as a two way um, conversation. Um, and so that 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 social space is is something we we just have to be very very careful um, about. But having said that, there's there's lots of digital channels that are available uh, to us, and so you, you're quite right. We're, we're navigating that at the moment, um, and even with um, what's traditionally above the line media, that's that's even changing as well. Um, so many people watching, you know, commercial TV is, is catch-up TV. It's not live. Um, the advent of, um, you know, Netflix, for example, as well, which is obviously not commercial at all. Um, so when we think about our 
our spend and, and, and the channels that we're going to be implementing all our, all our campaigns in, there's a, a much harder swing towards those, those digital channels to try and reach people more and more, um, which, as you'd appreciate, Shahid, I'm sure you're working in a day-to-day, the complexity ramps up them as well as a result in terms of the data you get back and then the iterations you need to make and how responsive you need to be to those channels, um, it, it really increases the complexity in terms of how you how you mm. manage it. Yeah, that, that sort of, to, to, to me, uh, those points, Tim, is, is, is bang on. You know, you're talking about digital, you're talking about the new way of consuming, you know, media and information and content. Um, to me, you know, therefore... Uh, uh, these these toolkits, and particularly some of the ones that we get, um, and our, and our, we've had one recently on on a on a uh, 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 on another side of the of the business, and you you do look at it, you go like, how the hell is that going to survive in today's world? It's not built for today, so you you do question how these things need to be adapted themselves, and um, it's more about let's not look at Let's not look at um, local adaption. Let's look at let's look at global thinking, and look at local creation. Let's look at you know let's look at the way that they these things have to um, live and breathe in different channels in different countries. They've got to start now. I think we they start now need to start thinking about um, global toolkits as these entities that that they're more of a platform, more of a sort of an idea more of a sort of a tone of voice this is this is the brand and they get filled that gets filtered out and then um then gets created within within the local within the local market um in its little nuances and its little sort of cultural differences and all those types of things so it, it's so different today and and Shahid, I've, as i said i see saw this one the other day and I, and I was like oh god they're still doing it you know um and it was it was horrible it was it was really horrible and and we're still working on it and just, just and um you you do you do worry about those those types of things and i feel sorry again i feel sorry for the the marketers here in australia really I and mean, it's not it's not their you know they have to do this stuff and it's i, I feel bad for them anyway so i think we're three pints in <laughs> <laughs> We have quite a broad audience listening to these podcasts, and I don't think many many of the ones who listen from the states or maybe the sort of more global agencies in in, in the UK necessarily really hear or appreciate the mm. frustrations or the challenges rather that that smaller markets have. I'm sure they're aware of it, but I'm sure they they don't necessarily get to really hear um, or, or spend too yeah. much time hearing about it in terms of how you guys are talking. And I, what I found. One of the things I found quite fascinating, well, I found all of it fascinating, but one of the things that really stood stood out for me when, Tim, when you were talking about the response you have, you know, when we're sort of working in digital channels, like how do brands respond on social media in a meaningful and quick manner? Do you get a tweet and then do you then have to spend three weeks getting a response because it has to get signed off? I mean, there's sort of many massive challenges with with pharma brands in terms of engaging with their audiences. But ultimately, that's kind of where they are. And it's just interesting to see how how you guys are going to be having to to approach it. Because you can't hide no, from and it. Look, and you're 100 percent right, and that's and and that's our exact challenge. Shahid. So we're we're highly regulated mm. um, as a as an industry, 
um, for, for obvious reasons, but that, that, that just doesn't come down to the, the, the products we, we register and, 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 and that we can sell. It's, um, it also comes down to what we, can, what we can say then in the marketplace, as well as I'm sure much of your audience is, is all too aware but um, you know what you what you say in jest about having three weeks to get a tweet signed off. That's that's not too far removed to what the reality is. And and um, and and as an organisation, you know we um, you know pharmaceutical companies in, in general compared to FMCG, for example, uh, do move at a slower pace, um, and and for good reason. Mm. And so that's why it is really important that. Um, from an agency point of view, um, that we work with, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, a highly, um, you know, valued healthcare agency that with that's got a lot of experience that can support us in navigating this, that um, appreciate how our businesses work, um, and can support us through that. Because there's nothing worse than working with an agency who who don't understand. Um, that regulatory environment or understand, you know, the slow pace that you go through and end up being frustrated with it. Um, and so once once they understand what we are trying to navigate um, and and like the health, a lot of the healthcare agencies do, um, they can support you through it and you put the right structures and systems in place in order to make sure that you, um, if you are in a position where you need to be responding to a tweet, you've got a plan in place to be able to do that. Quite, quite readily, um, and and that is the and that is the, the the big question now in terms of that we all we're still learning about how you you navigate this two way conversation with your with your patient or, or your pet owner, um, and it's and it's not simple, um, and it's it's not straightforward, but you know we're finding we're finding ways of doing it. That's for sure. I think I think every every marketer's sort of trying to work that one out because of you know you can't research a tweet can you? <laughs> You're not going no, to do the, that. The, the longer that tweet hangs out there without you responding, you know, depending on what it is, you know, the more you lose credibility or lose face, or um, you know, the the more people can pile on and, and add to it as well. So it's yeah, it's it it is challenging, very very challenging, and. Um, you know, we've um, we can only say we we've stayed out of it for the for the time being, um, and and I think it's been a really good decision for us to stay out of it um, and to sort of learn and, and watch watch what others are doing and and put all the right systems and processes in place first before we go and before we go and jump in because like any channel, as you know, Shahid, if you're going to do it, do it really well. Don't go in half assed and try and um, have a crack and just see how you go. You've got to go in uh, and do it 100% and do it really, really well, the best execution. So um, we want to make sure that when we do it, it's, it's, it's done to the best of our ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we've gone down some really sort of um, amazing tangents. Let's try and put it back to, I guess, why you <laughs> came on here <laughs> to talk about how do you deal with cookie cutter type of toolkits you know what have you guys done and what insights can you share with with other marketers and other agencies of, of still getting some really fantastic work out and it's a it's, it's a, it is it is a really good um topic because i'm sure it's a topic that everyone has to work in 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 day to day um and particularly i know from from toby's perspective there um you know you're a creative team and 
And what probably you get a kick out of is developing your ideas and seeing your ideas come to life. And um, when it's not your own ideas and you're asked to implement someone else's ideas, it's someone else's baby, um, you don't get the same kick out of it. You don't kind of, you can't inject your passion into it. Um, so I think the best example that we can give is um, there was the, you know, we did launch NextGuard here in, in, in 2014 and, um, and we did implement the, the, the global campaign. Um, and um, we, we took that and we, you know, Australianized it the best we could with, with voiceover and that kind of thing. And, and it was a fantastic result, a, a really fantastic result. Um, the benefit for us locally is um, there was then um, a new uh, sort of follow-up brand from NextGuard, a lifecycle brand that's called NextGuard Spectra. Um, that was um, had a, a two actives in it and um, was sort of a, a new, improved, better NextGuard product. And we actually were the first country in the world to launch it. So um, we we then had the benefit to go to global to say we would like to drive our own destiny here. Um, we're first to go to market. Uh, we would like to demonstrate that we can we can come to you with a, a really great campaign, and and we can develop it from from Australia, and um, and and perhaps that can be something that can be developed for the for the world. And and luckily we were able to do that with NextGuard Spectra, and we've been able to continue to do that with with NextGuard Spectra um, globally. And that could be the one thing I would sort of challenge other creative teams to do is um, what is changing within the global space with these large organisations is they are recognising there isn't one global culture. Um, there are many different cultures, but there's different cultures around the world that have a lot of similarities that might be across other sides of the world, but they're very similar. So what now they're trying to do is, well, what can we pick up from various countries but repurpose it around the world? So, um, for example, we recently launched a new brand um, called Prevacoin, which is a, um, basically a non-steroidal for horses. Um, and it was, before we launched it, it was launched in Canada. And Canada put together this fantastic campaign based on basically like a crystal horse, uh, and the horse was sort of breaking out from pain. It was a really great metaphor, beautiful looking campaign. And um, and we said, actually, we'll we'll borrow that. That that looks fantastic. Let's bring that here to to Australia, um, and we can implement that here. Um, and and thereby we sort of uh, you know appease our global colleagues because we are leveraging global assets from a from another country, um, and it kind of takes the pressure off global than to have to create this one size fits all global campaign as well. So what we might start to see is perhaps this change in approach whereby maybe as countries might develop their own assets, that's then leveraged to other similar places around the world. Um, because as we know, between US, China, Japan, Western Europe, um, there's no way you're going to implement one campaign across those five markets. Absolutely no way. Um, but between those five markets, you can probably leverage that creative across all the other parts of the world. Where does that proactiveness have to come from then? Is it, Tim, is it you 
telling the agency this is what we got to do or is it Toby's agency saying hey Tim let's go and do this you know where does that because it feels like you know you make your own luck win this world right <laughs> and, and if uh, you know you've got a new product and you want to create something memorable and meaningful and be ultimately proud of it and you know smash your numbers you want to go and make that happen I mean obviously it's a relationship but in in this particular case where did that proactiveness come from it's a yeah so basically I mean Australia culturally we 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 tend to challenge um uh, global, um, where we're, we're less we're, we're less likely um, culturally to just say, hey, yeah, no worries, thanks, we'll we'll, we'll do that. Where, um, you know, like I said, we're we're really a little bit more, you know, um, individualists in terms of a, 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 a corporate globally um, and how we manage our our, our business internally, um, and and not just in a BI context, but you'll find that across. Um, you know, many of the pharmaceutical businesses say um, we feel open to challenge um, uh, based on what our perhaps what we believe our individual culture is, and and to some degree, look, it is a bit of a chip on our shoulder where um, we sometimes feel like we're just seen as an extension of either Europe or the US, and hey, they must be the same out there, so we'll just write the same thing. So we do tend to challenge more often than perhaps other countries might. Um, but in terms of where where it comes from, um, it does come from this partnership that we that we have, which is really good with with Ogilvy in Australia. Um, uh, it, it's not a tactical partnership where we sort of just come with a brief and they go, "Oh, thanks for that." Um, we'll put a campaign together and launch it, and and see you later. Um, we we do sort of talk about what we want to achieve together. We we talk about the brands that we're um, stewards for and and how can we make sure we're continuing improving what we do and and then we challenge each other with that so how can we execute this in the best possible way um, for our customer for for the pet owner and just to ensure we extract um, the maximum opportunity that's that's in front of us and if that means that um what uh, you know, perhaps what the global toolbox is telling us to do doesn't quite fit the best opportunity. Um, we're very good at working together to develop the best possible strategy, um, the best possible argument that we can um, to be able to roll out what we think is the best for for our our customers and our and our target audience. Um, which you know often can be a long protracted process because you really do need to do. Um, some strong arguing and presenting some sort of clear um, benefit for why you need to stray away from perhaps what the global toolkit is telling you telling you to do. Um, but luckily, uh, in most cases in Australia, we, we do have the runs on the board. So um, we can demonstrate that through our hard work, we can get the result and, um, and we can do better. On that, on that partnership, I'm only asking this um, to be cheeky. And I'm also asking this because I've gone client side now. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you two questions, Tim. Sure. That's okay. What's the best thing about working with an agency? The best thing about working with an agency? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting with question, Shahid. <laughs> um, look, I do, like, I do enjoy the team. Like, there's a team dynamic and um, what, what we've been able to do with our, you know, group of suppliers, so um, our Ogilvy, our 
our advertising agency and OMD, our media agency, and our, our PR agency, Polkadot, we've developed a really close team um, where we speak regularly. Um, we're kind of um, always trying to align on on our approach and our strategies. And and I really enjoy, I think, that team dynamic that we have. Um, and to be able to work closely with the whole team, um, I think it's what's good with our relationship with Ogilvy and what I like in terms of working with Ogilvy is um, this creative team in particular are very accessible, which is good. Um, often, and I think, you know, I'm sure um, both of you have had this experience, um, often the creative team is, is, is locked up in the dark room out the back when the client turns up and account service get to deal with them and, um, you know, you get let out again once the client's gone. Um, whereas I, I like having that, that contact and discussion with, with the creative team because um, they think a bit differently and they can approach problems from a different way and often they're quite naive to, to sometimes what our, our business problems are, which means they can ask sort of questions that no one else might typically ask within our commercial environment. And so it challenges you to think differently about what you're, what you're doing. So to be able to sort of get access to those sorts of people in an agency, for me, um, I really enjoy. That's great. And just the second question, what's the most frustrating thing? If you're working with the creatives, <laughs> Shahid. <laughs> I knew I was going to say that. <laughs> Same as I assume. Let me just, what's your bank account number? Same reasons. <laughs> um, I, I just was wanted to say that, and that, that what Tim was saying is, is, an, is an important point. Um, and it, do you know what, you know, asking, asking ridiculous questions. And, uh, I always sort of ch chat to the junior, even, even the, um, more so the junior, uh, account service team is like, ask, ask some crazy questions. Don't be afraid. I mean, you know, sometimes ask, well, why is this product actually here? You know, um, I don't understand sometimes why some products are launched and you go like, why? It's just like, it's, it's not, it's like everything else. So, you know, I think, I think it's like back to, again, back to like, David Ogilvy, I keep rabbiting on about David Ogilvy. There's, there's, there's many people out there, but I'm just because I come, come from Ogilvy, I, I guess he's kind of like my sort of like my light. Um, but you know, he he used to go around factories. He used to get get involved in the in the sort of like when he worked for Rayburn. You know, go and ask ask the ask the people, ask the housewives, ask the you know ask the people that are making the bloody thing. You know, the questions and be there and get in there. I think today is is you know is that's gone a little bit haywire. We, we're not doing that so much. Creatives are, you know, need to be sort of involved. And I think it's great that Tim and his team can actually, you know, open their arms up and go, yeah, come in. And, and, and we chat to them and we, 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 we are a partnership. Nobody's sort of talking over the top of each other because Tim wasn't the first guy on this, on this brand. And, and he, he's, he's come in because he could have easily, he could easily change everything, you know, if he wanted to. Um, and I was I was shitting it uh, to start with, and I was going, oh shit, here we go. We got, we got this guy who's coming in; he's going to change the whole lot. You just wait till Monday. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's really critical when you talk about, particularly global toolbox, because you need to, you have to have that that partnership, because particularly you have to know sometimes when to fight. So okay, we're going to fight this. Let's get together, and we're going to try and you know go back and try and. Uh, improve what we can do locally because this doesn't work. Or sometimes it's like, you know, we can't fight, but we've got to do our best. How are we going to implement this with our, um, you know, with our best foot forward? And 
when you have a really strong strategic partnership with supplier, you can you can do those things um, and overcome. And so that's I think that's a really important part of that partnership as well. And um, and look, just to your point, Toby, in terms of coming in and um, you were shitting it in terms of you know this <laughs> you know let's go creator that we just started to build. Um, what's great there is what you know that the campaign you built really put the the, the pet owner at the centre of everything that stood for, and um, and that was the critical part. And and that is really like for what what BI stands for. Like BI is all about put put the patient, put the pet owner, put the farmer at the centre. Of everything, of everything you do, and um, if we achieve that, then um, everything should more or less fall into place from a, you know, a, a communications um, and, a, and a commercial point of view, and and that's what's great about that campaign. Um, it, it puts the the pen owner at the centre of what we're doing, and and that's that's always the most important thing. What I really got from that, which I. I thought I think is a really good take takeaway for anyone listening to this. Certainly from a client's perspective, is is actually accessing perspectives that you don't actually have in your current organisations. And you know, I think you're right. I think creatives perhaps don't live with the day to day business issues, so they can ask really difficult questions and they can push back. They can really challenge, you know, what, why you're doing what you're doing. So I think that was really great just to hear that because. You know, I think the way that the current industry is going is, as you say, like a lot of t- a lot of the times, the creatives are sort of hidden away, <laughs> you know, so they don't get in front of the adults to embarrass anyone. But... <laughs> That's sometimes I think that you know, like, oh, they're letting me out. <laughs> Agencies are made up of a huge amount of skill sets, you know, whether it's from insights to project management to the receptionist. I mean, everyone sort of makes makes an agency, but you know, let, let's be frank here. It's about the product at the end of the day that you make, you know, it's about, and it's about protecting that product. It's about protecting what you put out to the world. And if the people who are delivering that are the ones that you're connecting to, Tim, that's, that's a really fantastic thing to share, I think, with many marketers and many agencies out there, you know, and yeah, I, that's what I got from this. I thought that was just really great. Tim, last question for me. And and I, I've always wanted to ask this to a client. I've never <laughs> been brave enough, but because you're not my client, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and maybe this doesn't apply to to marketers in Australia. When you go into client side in, in terms of the role that you're doing, do do pharma companies give you training in terms of how you're meant to approach agencies? So when you're on a pitch, you know don't crack a smile, don't say anything. These are the sort of curveballs that you need to ask. Is is there some form of training that clients just go through which make them come across in a particular way very much in the early stages of an agency relationship? Interesting you ask that because the early part of my career, sort of I've been in the workforce 20 years and the first 10 years of my working life, I was in agencies, Shahid. So I then went client side after ten years at agency, and um, and yeah, what what I really learned, and this could be a whole other podcast, mate. I don't know. <laughs> when clients <laughs> go bad, when the agencies go bad, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. But it it is it is that um, there is probably there is a poor culture for people who are brought up through a corporate towards how they manage their their agency. And it is this approach in terms of a supplier-client relationship. And it, it is almost like this attitude, like you're going to get screwed over 
by your agency. So you've got a writer type brief, you know, and anytime they stray away from around that brief, you've got to hit them with a hammer. And, um, and it, it is this sort of almost, you know, this non-trusting approach to, to agencies. Um, so, yeah, and which, which is definitely in, in the 10 years of my career and client side, that's, that's changed. But um, in, my ex, in my experience, you know, in that time, people who have always been working from a corporate point of view and have been brought up by people who have traditionally, you know, come through probably those, you know, um, you know, 80s and 90s working with agencies um, and end up in senior roles, their approach to at agencies are, are very different. And um, it is that more transactional partnership like that. Um, but to answer your, your tongue-in-cheek question, no, unfortunately not. There's no formal training in how to be an arsehole in a pitch <laughs> meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I might start one though. I might. Maybe I could pioneer that. Maybe there's a gap in the market for this. Maybe this is exactly <laughs> what I need to do. I think actually this does work another <laughs> podcast. Do. That conversation in itself, I think it definitely does, and we'll we'll gladly have you back yeah, on there. Absolutely, I think that's a great idea. We'll do that. We will do that. I'll tell you what, I'll leave, it, I'll leave it with you to come back with who you'd like to come on that. Maybe it's like your, co- your colleagues or whatever, and we can do that and we can try and find a model of how to, how to break it. How to bridge it. Yeah, exactly. How to bridge it. How to bridge it. Yeah, no, not how to, <laughs> <laughs> how to bridge it. That's a better word. So, Tim, I'd just like to thank you and Toby, thank you so much for spending your evening with, with me today. It's been fascinating conversation. I think uh, anyone listening to this has sort of killed an hour and a bit of their, their week, but they've also sort of got something out of this. So I just want to thank you and we will speak very, very soon. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you so much, Shahid. Uh, no, it's been a pleasure. I've loved it. Thanks, Toby and Shahid. If you do enjoy listening to these podcasts, please do rate, share and subscribe whenever possible.